Thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. Well, today we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the most significant event in all the Bible. I would say it's the most significant event in all of history. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the most foundational belief that we have as Christians. And we need to recognize that because if you take away the resurrection, then our Christian faith crumbles. One of the most essential things about the resurrection is the resurrection is the proof that Jesus is who he claimed to be, God. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. It was the resurrection from the dead that proved that Jesus is who he claimed to be, God. You see, as Christians, we don't just say Jesus is God because he said he was God. We say Jesus is God because he proved he was God by rising from the dead. So if there's no resurrection, then we as Christians would have no confidence that Jesus truly is God. Paul understood the great significance of the resurrection, and he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 17 through 19, this. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Paul tells us, you know what, if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, then our faith is futile. It's in vain. It's empty. Well, why? Why if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, is our faith empty? Is it in vain? Well, we looked at one of the reasons because it proves that Jesus wasn't God. But Paul here also lists two other reasons why if the resurrection didn't happen, our faith is empty. The first problem that Paul brings to us is, hey, we're still in our sins. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then our sins are not forgiven. Because the only way that our sins could have been paid for by Jesus on the cross is if Jesus was God. And if Jesus wasn't God, then he couldn't pay for our sins. If he couldn't pay for our sins, then guess what? We're still in our sins. Our sins are not forgiven. And so Paul brings up a huge reality. No resurrection means no Jesus being God, which ultimately means no forgiveness of sins. The second big problem we have if there's no resurrection is we have no hope of spending eternity with God in heaven. You see, one of the things that Jesus did through the resurrection is he conquered death. He overcame death, and then he got a glorified body, went back to heaven. The hope that we have of an eternity in heaven is based on the resurrection, is based on the fact that Jesus conquered death, and therefore he is capable of allowing us to conquer death as well. But if Jesus couldn't do it, what confidence would we have that that is a hope that we could have as well? So connected to the resurrection are three of the most foundational and important truths in Christianity. The fact that Jesus is God, the fact that we're forgiven of our sins, and the fact that we have the hope of heaven. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then all three of those things would crumble, and so would our Christian faith. But as we're going to see this morning, Jesus did rise from the dead, which proves that he is God, which proves that he has the capacity to forgive sins, and which proves that he can enable us to go and spend eternity with him in heaven. Now, since the resurrection is so vital to our Christian faith, it's one of the things that skeptics of Christianity love to try to attack. 
And they pose very good questions towards us as Christians, like, how can you be sure that Jesus rose from the dead? What evidence do you have to prove that Jesus rose from the dead? How could I be confident that Jesus truly did rise from the dead? I'm sure many of you have had skeptics come and and people who don't believe in Christianity pose that question to you. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians don't have an answer for the skeptic. They often say things like, you know, you just need to believe. You just need to have faith. They don't share any evidence to back up that belief, any evidence to say what we put our faith in. It's kind of what the skeptic hears is, okay, you don't really have any reason. You don't really have any evidence. You kind of just have this blind leap into the absurd, this blind faith that you place in. I experienced this growing up. I grew up in a church, and I would pose questions like this. What evidence do we have that the Bible is inspired by God? What evidence do we have that it's true? What evidence is there that Jesus rose from the dead? What evidence is there that God created the world? And I would throw out these questions, and this was the response that I would get so often, is just believe it in faith. Okay, but isn't there any evidence? Isn't there anything to support this belief system? And usually they'd be like, oh, you just got to have faith. You just got to believe it. And what I concluded which was incorrect, was since they didn't have evidence and answers for my question was that there were none. That's what I concluded. It's not true, but I thought, well, I'm posing these questions. These Christians aren't able to give me any evidence or answers. There must not be any. Christianity must just be this blind leap into the absurd, this blind faith that they're following. And that was one of the things that caused me just to go and live for myself and party and live a life that just indulges myself. And I just thought, you know what? There's nothing to back this up. And one of the things that really drew me back to God was meeting Christians who could answer this question. I remember encountering some of them, and I was like, well, we'll end this conversation real quick. Well, why don't you prove to me the Bible's inspired? Why don't you prove to me, you know, these different things? And they had answers. And then they challenged me to be studying and to really search these things out. And as I did that, I discovered there's overwhelming evidence for Christianity, overwhelming evidence for, like we're going to look at this morning, the resurrection. And at that moment, I chose to really accept and live for God for myself. You know, a few weeks ago, we finished our study through the Gospel of Luke, which ends with the resurrection. And so we looked at those details. We looked at what transpired with that. And so this morning, we're going to approach the resurrection from a little different perspective. This morning, we're going to do a little CSI investigation on the resurrection, on why the tomb was empty. I don't know if any of you ever watched the CSI show. I like the original in Las Vegas, you know, Miami, New York, and the 50 other ones that they did I wasn't so uh, fond of. But, you know, Gil Grissom is the main character in that one. And when his team would ever ask him something, he always just say, follow the evidence. Follow the evidence, and it will lead you to the truth. Well, that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to follow the evidence for the resurrection. Follow the evidence for the empty tomb. And if you're here this morning and you're skeptical of Christianity, you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, never believed he is who he claimed to be God, I hope as you look at this evidence and hear this evidence, it would challenge you with the truth that Jesus did rise from the dead, which means he is God, which means he can forgive you of your sins, which means he can enable you to spend eternity with him in heaven. And for those of you this morning who have already placed your faith in Christ and what he's done for you, I hope the evidence for the resurrection just deepens that faith. 
But also, I want this to be a time because we are now in this you know, Easter celebration holiday, and you can go home, and you can go to neighbors and friends and hopefully have answers for them of why the resurrection has evidence, why it has proof to back it up and share that with those who don't believe. How can you be sure that Jesus rose from the dead? What evidence is there to prove he rose from the dead? Well, I want to start here looking at something we looked at actually a few weeks ago, Acts chapter 1. But remember what Dr. Luke says about the resurrection, and it's very significant. Starting uh, in verse 1, says this, The first account I composed, Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen, to these he also presented himself alive after his sufferings, notice, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Luke, speaking of Jesus' resurrection, wants to reveal something important to us. He tells us, Jesus presented himself alive to many people by many convincing proofs. Dr. Luke, a great historian, wants us to realize, hey, it wasn't just one or two evidences or proofs. He convinces us that there were many proofs that we can know the resurrection actually took place. So this morning, as we do our CSI investigation on the resurrection, we're going to follow the evidence. We're going to examine some of these convincing proofs. We're going to be looking at six facts concerning the resurrection. And as I look at these facts and share them with you, I want you to realize that the only reasonable and logical explanation for these six facts is that Jesus did miraculously rise from the dead. Now, there are two important facts that you have to start with when dealing with the evidence for the uh, resurrection. And, And these two facts are ones that secular scholars agree to. This isn't something that's really debated. This is something that is agreed upon, not just from Christians, but from secular historians as well. The first fact, an important one, is that Jesus Christ was crucified, died, and was placed in a tomb. Some of the reasons scholars have come to this conclusion is, first, all the Gospels were written within 40 years of Jesus' death. This means that there would have been a large amount of first-hand eyewitnesses when the Gospels were published. People who would have been able to say, well, wait a second, if Jesus wasn't crucified, they could have come out and said, that's not true, we're alive, we didn't see that, and none of them came out and posed that, which, you know, scholars have recognized, if it wasn't true, there was plenty of eyewitnesses who could have disputed that fact, and it was never disputed because Jesus was crucified. The second reason scholars have come to this conclusion that Jesus was crucified, died, and placed in the tomb is the fact that the Romans who executed people were very efficient in their torture torture methods. As we noted, as we ended the Gospel of Luke, crucifixion, the way that you would die was through suffocation. You would have to pull with your arms and push with your legs in order to take a breath, and you would ultimately, it was meant to stretch out over days, and then you would finally suffocate to death. Well, the Passover was coming, and the Jews asked, you know what, we need to take all these people off the cross. And so to kill them, they started breaking their legs, because then they can't push up and breathe anymore, and they would die. With Jesus, they come to him, and they don't break his legs. Why? Because they recognize he's already dead, and so they pierce his side. When Joseph of Arimathea comes to ask for Jesus' body, Pilate is surprised that Jesus is already dead, because That torture was meant to last longer. And so he asked for confirmation from his Roman guards before he releases the body of Jesus to Joseph of Arimathea. And then Joseph of Arimathea took the body of Jesus, wrapped it in grave clothes, and placed him 
in a tomb. Here's a picture that I took of the inside of the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea when I was in Israel. This tomb exists today. You can go there and you can see it for yourself and something that you will notice. And since three days after Jesus uh, died all the way to now, it is empty. So the first fact that Jesus Christ was crucified, died, and was placed in the tomb. Now, that fact that Jesus died and was placed in the tomb dead is an important first fact because you can't rise from the dead if you weren't first dead. Uh, And so we have to start from that place that he actually died and was placed in a tomb. And that's something, as I already mentioned, secular scholars all agree to. Now, the second fact is the tomb was empty. It's a fact that three days after Jesus was placed in this tomb dead, it was empty. Not only did Jesus' followers testify to this, but so did the ones who killed him, the Romans and the Jews. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, verses 11 through 15, we hear this. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole away Stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among Jews until this day. Here we have the Roman guards who were at the tomb and the Jewish religious leaders who had Jesus executed, both definitely not wanting an empty tomb, saying there's an empty tomb. The Jews didn't want an empty tomb because that would have proved they just killed the Messiah. These Roman guards wouldn't want an empty tomb because their job was to guard that tomb. And if that body is gone, they would have been executed. So their life is on the line. And notice this is why they say to them, hey, if this goes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. Because they say, just tell tell them uh, Jesus' body was stolen. And they'd be like, no way, then we're dead. Well, well, no, don't worry about that. We'll appease the governor for you, and you know, we're going to give you money, and it's going to be okay. You're not going to be killed. They knew that was the punishment for doing this. So both groups would have definitely not wanted an empty tomb, and yet both admit that the tomb was empty. So here we have two groups who desperately don't want the empty tomb admitting this. We have positive evidence of the empty tomb from a hostile source, which historically is the strongest kind of evidence there is. If a source admits a fact decidedly not in its favor, then that fact is considered genuine. And there is one reason, or this is one of them, that why scholars consider the empty tomb to be a genuine fact. Now here's another important thing to think about. When Jesus' disciples, they go and they preach the message of the gospel, and they go and preach that Jesus is risen from the dead, notice where they go. They don't go to some far-off place like Athens or Rome. They go to Jerusalem. Well, you might think, well, why is that significant? It's significant because that's where Jesus was just killed and placed in a tomb. So if they're preaching the message that Jesus is risen from the dead, they would never be able to do that unless the fact of the tomb is empty has been something that everyone agrees to because all the religious leaders would have to do is say, no, he's not. Here's his tomb. Here's his body. These guys are liars. The fact that they could go around in Jerusalem and proclaim Jesus is risen from the dead, the only way that that would be possible is if everyone recognized his grave is empty. Dr. Paul Mayer, a historical researcher, says this about the resurrection. If all the evidence is weighed carefully and fairly, it is indeed justifiable, according to the canons of historical research, to conclude that the sepulcher of Joseph of Arimathea, in which Jesus was buried, was actually empty on the morning of the first Easter. 
and no shred of evidence has yet been discovered in literary sources or archaeology that would disprove this statement. Something I find interesting is Dr. Paul Mayer, he's not a Christian. But yet he recognizes there is an overwhelming amount of evidence to prove that Jesus' tomb was empty three days after his death. So our first fact is that Jesus was crucified, died, and placed in a tomb. Our second fact is that three days later, that tomb is empty. Now the fact that Jesus was crucified, died, placed in a tomb in three days, it was empty, it raises an important question. A question that scholars for many years have been posing and a question that we have to pose ourselves. What reasonable and logical explanation is there for why Jesus' tomb was found empty? He was placed in there dead and now it's empty. Well, what reasonable and logical explanation is there for why the tomb is empty? Now, these secular scholars, they don't want to accept the fact that Jesus' tomb is empty because he rose from the dead, but they realize they have to have some reason for why it's empty. They've got to come up with a theory to explain the empty tomb. And they've come up with four main theories to try and explain the empty tomb without having Jesus risen from the dead. These four theories are the swoon theory, the wrong tomb theory, the hallucinating theory, and the stolen body theory. And as we do our CSI investigation of the empty tomb, and as we follow the evidence, we'll look at these different theories, and we'll see if the evidence backs them up. Are they true, or are they false, based on the evidence that we have? Well, let's start by examining the swoon theory. Did Jesus swoon? This theory basically says Jesus didn't die from his horrendous torture, from his crucifixion, that he just fainted from loss of blood and the exhaustion of all he went through. And so they thought he was dead. The Roman soldiers thought he was dead. Joseph of Arimathea thought he was dead. They wrapped him in grave clothes, thinking he's dead. He's just fainted. And they put him in a tomb. And the cold air of that tomb revives him. He wakes up. And somehow... He is able to unwrap himself and understanding even someone in full strength wrapped up as they wrap up people uh, in that day with the grave clothes and the spices would be something that would be pretty much impossible. But let's not even go there. The fact that you have a two ton or even possibly a three ton stone and you're on the inside so you have no nothing to grip. Okay, somehow this person who has gone through all this torture is now able to move this stone. And then what's on the other side of the stone? Roman soldiers who are to protect the person from leaving. No one's supposed to get there. So somehow he would now defeat the Roman soldiers. And then he goes, appears to the disciples for 40 days. And then we're never, he's never heard from or seen from again. So this is the swoon theory. Uh, Jesus didn't die. He just swooned and then he did all these things. Well, this is a, a very far-fetched theory uh, that does not match the evidence. It's one that most historical scholars throw out really quickly because they realize it has so many problems. I could get into more of them, but this is the one that is most obviously wrong. Uh, and so I'll spend more time on some of the other theories. Uh, but Jesus was dead when he was placed in that tomb, and so everything the swoon theory proposes is not something that happens. Well, so what reasonable and logical explanation is there? Why is Jesus' tomb empty? Well, we just noted it's not because he swooned. Well, did everyone go to the wrong tomb? We're going to see that couldn't have happened. Were the Roman guards and the disciples just hallucinating? We're going to see the foolishness of that theory. 
Did the fearful disciples all of a sudden become bold and steal Jesus' body? We're going to see the problems of that. The only reasonable and logical explanation for why the tomb was empty is that Jesus rose from the dead. And I said those first two facts are essential to start. The next four facts that we're going to look at prove the reality that Jesus truly did rise from the dead. Fact number three, the large stone was removed and the Roman seal was broken. As you can see, this is the picture of Jesus' tomb. You can go to Israel and see it today. The tombs in Jerusalem of that time are not like the tombs that we have today where we dig in the ground and put people there. They, they were dug into rocks or sides of, the, of a hill, and you would have that rectangular opening. You would go in, and inside that is where you would place your body in that central chamber in there. Now, covering the opening, you would want something to cover it because obviously the smell would be really bad after a decomposing body. You would put a huge stone. Here's a picture I took of Jenny. And notice to the right here is the groove which the stone would have sat in. So right where Jenny's feet are, you have that little thing. Behind that is where the stone would have sat. The stone would have been at least six feet high, and that groove is over two feet thick, which is quite huge. Uh, The people that we were there doing our tour with said this stone probably would have weighed about three tons uh, because they've looked at how big it would have to be and being two feet in in, uh, thickness. And so that is a huge thing. Uh, And so you need to recognize it would have taken a lot of people to move that stone. Now, we also need to note it wasn't just the huge stone that was blocking this entrance. Matthew tells us the stone was sealed with a Roman seal. Matthew chapter 27, verses 62. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember why he was still alive, how this deceiver, after three days, I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. The religious leaders remember that Jesus said, after I die, three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. So they go to Pilate and they said, Pilate, we need you to do something for us. You see, this deceiver, Jesus, he claimed this. And you know what? We're concerned that the disciples, they're going to go and steal his body so that they can make this claim that Jesus rose from the dead. And so we need you to put a Roman seal on the tomb to prevent anyone from daring to go and steal that body. You see, when the Romans put their seal on something, it basically had two purposes. First, the seal was used to authenticate that which was being sealed. So the seal on Jesus' tomb was a public testimony that Jesus' body was actually there. Secondly, the seal was to declare to all that this was protected by Rome. The seal on Jesus' tomb verified the fact that Jesus' body was there and that the Roman government protected that. And if you would dare break that seal and go in, the punishment of that was death. Now, one of the theories to try and prove the empty tomb is the wrong tomb theory. This basically states that everybody just, they went to the wrong tomb. That's why they found it empty. You know, if they wouldn't have gone to the right tomb, they would have found Jesus' body, they went to the wrong tomb, and that solves our problem. Well, does this theory fit with the evidence? The Jews and the Romans, they had the tomb sealed. In order to have the tomb sealed, they would have to make sure that the body of Jesus is first in there because that's the purpose of why they're sealing it. This was not a common practice at this time. 
So a sealed tomb with Roman guards in front of it didn't normally take place, would have made it very unique, very easy to find the right tomb as opposed to like, oh, here's a tomb. Nope, doesn't have any seal or Roman guards. Oh, there it is over there. So it would have been very unlikely for them to miss the actual tomb. But also if the resurrection claim was merely just going to the wrong tomb, the Jewish authorities would have wasted no time saying, hey, they're preaching Jesus is risen. It's not true. Guess what? They went to that tomb over there. They're idiots. This is the real tomb. Look, the body's still here. He's not risen. They would have squashed that teaching right away if that was what actually took place. But they never did that because there was no wrong tomb. So this theory does not match the evidence and once again has been proven false by many historical scholars. Now, the most popular theory against the resurrection is the stolen body theory. This theory basically says that the disciples of Jesus came and stole his body. But in order to do that, they had to defeat trailing, uh, highly trained Roman soldiers and break this seal, move the stone, and remove Jesus' body. But does this theory fit with the evidence? First of all, there's no way Jesus' disciples are any match for trained Roman fighters. Remember, these are fishermen. These are tax collectors. These aren't fighters. And so that wouldn't have been a match at all, especially because, as I mentioned already, these Roman soldiers would have been fighting for their lives. If Jesus' body is stolen, they're going to be put to death. And so they're not just going to be like, hey, you can take him. Who cares? He's dead. We don't care. No, they realize we're guarding this. Our life is on the line. If you try to take him, we're going to fight to the death. And we're trained and we have weapons. And so, you know, we are to believe this. Well, let's also not to uh, forget who we're talking about here. For the disciples to try to defeat a group of highly trained Roman soldiers that would take a lot of guts and a little bit of concern for their own life. Now, remember, right before this happened, what do we see the disciples doing? Jesus is arrested by soldiers, and they could have been bold then. But what do they do? They all run and hide. Peter, who's supposed to be the real bold one, what does he do? He denies that he even knows Jesus three times, one of it to a little servant girl. He can't stand up to a servant girl, but he's going to take on a, a, a bunch of Roman soldiers. And after Jesus is killed, where do we find these supposedly brave disciples? Hiding for fear that they're next. So we're meant to believe that all of a sudden, over a couple of nights, they get this huge boldness, and they go and they attack Roman soldiers, break open this seal, and steal Jesus' body. This theory also does not match the evidence and has been proven false by many historical scholars. Now, it is a fact that the stone covering the tomb was removed. The seal was broken. So how did that happen? Well, what transpired to open up the tomb of Jesus? Well, Matthew's gospel tells us what transpired. Matthew 28, verses 2 through 4. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothes as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Matthew tells us what happened. Well, how did the stone get moved away? An angel from the Lord came from heaven. And following that is an earthquake. And he removes the stone. And notice what we're told about this angel. That his, he looked like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. And the Roman soldiers who see this, they, they're watching this. This earthquake happens. The stone is moved. And this angelic being is there. And they are like dead men. They're fearful and understandably so. Which brings us to the fourth fact. The Roman guards flee their post. 
What could have possibly caused these Roman guards to flee their posts? One of the main reasons Rome ruled the world was because of their military discipline and power. And Rome established it where if you leave your post, you're dead. And that's why Rome and all the soldiers, they would always fight, and they'd fight to the death because they know if we don't die here, we're going to die from our own generals. They're going to kill us if we don't stay and fight. So what would make these guys willing to run for fear? These are men who fight in battles. These are men who who are aware of what it takes to deal with these things, but they're afraid, and they're leaving their post. What could have happened to make them do this? Surely it wasn't because the disciples came to steal Jesus' body. A reasonable and logical explanation for why these highly trained Roman guards would flee their post is because they saw something they never saw before. They saw something miraculous. They saw an angelic being, and they didn't know what to do with that. They know how to fight men. They don't know how to fight angels, and they shook for fear, and they fled their post. The stone was rolled away by an angel, and notice he didn't roll it away to let Jesus out. As we see, Jesus was able in his new glorified body actually walk through walls. Well, why was a stone rolled away? Not to let Jesus out, but to let people in to see he's risen. He's risen from the dead. Come and look. Come and see. Which brings us to fact number five. After his death, Jesus appeared alive to many people. The personal appearance of Jesus alive after he was killed is the strongest evidence for the resurrection. The women, the disciples... They saw, they heard, they even touched the resurrected Jesus. But Paul tells us something else which is important to note in 1 Corinthians 15, 6. After the resurrection, Jesus was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep or died. After Jesus' resurrection, Paul tells us at one time there was over 500 people who saw the risen Jesus Christ. That's not including everyone else. He said just at one time Jesus appeared to over 500 people. And notice what else Paul says. It's very important. He says, and many of them are still alive to this day. What Paul is basically saying is, if you don't believe me that the resurrection actually happened, there's hundreds of people who saw him who are still alive, and you can go talk to them. You can get firsthand eyewitness testimony from those people if you don't believe it actually took place. Now, when studying an event in history, it's important to know whether enough people were eyewitnesses to the event, and they're still alive when the facts about the event were published. If the number of eyewitnesses is substantial, then that event can be determined as something that's very well established. For example, if we were all witnesses to a murder, and later a police report turns out to be a fabrication of lies, we as eyewitnesses can refute refute that. We can say the report is not true because we saw what really happened. And the more of us that come forward with the same exact story because we saw the same thing, then that evidence becomes greater and greater. So having over 500 witnesses to the risen Jesus is an overwhelming proof that it actually happened. Dr. Edwin Yamachi, an associate professor of history at Miami University, he says something very significant about these eyewitnesses. What gives a special authority to the list of witnesses as historical evidence is the reference to most of the 500 brethren being still alive. St. Paul says, in effect, if you don't believe me, you can ask them. Such a statement in an admittedly genuine letter written within 30 years of the event is almost as strong an evidence as one could hope to get for something that happened nearly 2,000 years ago. 
Well, let's take these more than 500 eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection, death, burial, and place them in a courtroom. Do you realize that if each of these 500 people were to testify for only six minutes, which would include cross-examination, that you would have an overwhelming amount of eyewitness testimony. It would be over 50 hours of eyewitness testimony. Imagine that, 50 hours of testimony about the risen Jesus. That would be one of the most lopsided trials in history. I think another compelling proof is the variety of witnesses that saw Jesus. We often think he only appeared to those who wanted him alive. He only appeared to his followers. He only appeared to those who were desperate for him to come back from the dead. You think, well, well, they just wanted it so bad. Well, he also appeared to people who did not want him alive. The greatest example of that is Saul of Tarsus, who later becomes the Apostle Paul. Saul made it his mission to destroy anyone who would teach that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was risen from the dead. He imprisoned and he killed those who did that. And Saul, the man who wanted to destroy anyone who said that the resurrection was true, saw the resurrected Jesus and it transformed his life. He then became Paul, who was the greatest missionary that has been The only reasonable and logical explanation for the fact that over 500 people saw the risen Jesus is the fact that he actually did rise from the dead, and he appeared to them. The fourth theory to try to explain the empty tomb is the hallucinating theory. This theory states that the disciples, the Roman guards, these 500 people all at once, they were just hallucinating. Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. They just hallucinated that they actually saw him, but they really didn't. Well, does this theory fit with the evidence? Hallucinations have been studied by doctors for years, and the uh, results of those studies pose a problem for this theory. Hallucinations usually last at the moment, at the most, uh, a few minutes. This one supposedly went on for 40 days. They usually happen only once, unless you're indeed afflicted with a particular type of mental illness. This one happened over and over again to a lot of different people. Hallucinations are very unique. With uh, Each individual has a different hallucination, but what they're wanting us to believe is that 500 people at one time had the exact identical hallucination. Hallucinations don't eat real fish. Jesus did. Hallucinations don't provide rational teaching. Jesus did. This theory claims everyone who saw Jesus risen from the dead was just hallucinating because Jesus was still dead. But you know what? The biggest thing is we could throw all that out. This theory doesn't answer the question. Why is Jesus' tomb empty? It doesn't answer it at all. Okay, so the disciples are hallucinating that they saw someone that wasn't really there. How does that show why the tomb's empty? It doesn't deal with the heart of the problem. If Jesus is still dead, where's his body? If he's still dead, why isn't in the tomb? You can claim all you want that they're hallucinating, but that doesn't deal with the real issue. So the fact that they even try to use this as a proof of why Jesus' tomb is empty, it just it doesn't understand it because it doesn't deal with that at all. They're actually dealing with the, the evidence of people who are claiming Jesus was seen, and so it's, oh, no, no, they were just hallucinating. But it actually doesn't even deal with the theory of why the empty tomb was empty. So once again... The evidence shows this theory is false and is actually a really foolish one to even use for this one. So we have the fact that Jesus was crucified, placed in a tomb, the fact the tomb was empty, the fact the large stone was removed, the Roman seal was broken, the fact that the Roman guards fled their post, and the fact that Jesus appeared alive to many people after his resurrection. 
Well, there's one more fact that I want to close with this morning. The sixth fact is the disciples changed lives. This is one of the most convincing proofs to me. The disciples who abandoned Jesus, Peter who denied Jesus, all of them who were fearful for their lives, hiding from the authorities, what event could change them? What event could have caused them to go from abandoning their belief in Jesus to now wanting to live for him, from thinking it's all said and done to being willing to go into all the world and proclaim a message that he was risen from the dead? What caused them to do this? Now, you know, if they had some visible benefit for telling the message of the risen Jesus, like prestige, wealth, increased social status, some material benefit, then we could say, okay, we understand why they preached that message. Hey, you know, they got something out of it. It was a lie, but who cares? They lied so they could get all this stuff back for themselves. So what is it that the disciples received for preaching the message of the resurrected Jesus Christ? They were beaten. They were stoned to death. They were thrown to lions, they were dipped in boiling oil, they were crucified, they were tortured in the most heinous ways. And we're meant to believe that that's what they got for this, and they were going to continue to proclaim this even though it wasn't true. They laid down their lives as the ultimate proof of their complete confidence in the truth of their message. The disciples wouldn't have done this if they didn't believe and hadn't seen the risen Jesus. I mean, imagine when they're getting the stones ready to stone you to death, or they're about to open the cage for the lion to come eat you alive. That's the moment when you say, wait a second, it's not true. We were lying. We made it up. It didn't happen. You're not going to die for a lie. They were willing to go to their death because they believed and knew Jesus truly did rise from the dead. So as we examine the evidence... As we look at these six facts, we come to this very important question. Why was the tomb empty three days after Jesus was placed in it? The evidence shows it wasn't because he swooned. It wasn't because the disciples went to the wrong tomb. It wasn't because they stole Jesus' body. It wasn't because everybody who was hallucinating. As we follow the evidence, it leads us to the truth that the only reasonable and logical explanation for all six of these facts is that Jesus Christ did miraculously rise from the dead. Professor Arnold, or Thomas Arnold, he was appointed to the chair of modern history at Oxford, well acquainted with the value of evidence in determining historical facts. He said this about the resurrection. I have been used for many years to study the histories of other times and to examine and weigh the evidence of those who have written about them. And I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer than the great sign which God hath given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. The resurrection is a well-proven fact that has many convincing proofs. And I've only given some of them to you this morning. If this is something that you like, you like looking at evidence for things, there's a few books that I would recommend that you read. The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Evidence that Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. More Than a Carpenter, also by Josh McDowell. Or I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by Norman Geisler. And those of you who say, you know what, I don't do too well in reading, I don't take the time to read. If you go on Netflix, if you have it, uh, Lee Strobel, he did um, 
The Case for Christ. It's an hour-long movie. He's interviewing all the people that he did in the book. Uh, it's very well done. So if you just want to watch something instead of read something, then I would encourage you to do that. It'll bring more facts than what I shared this morning. So as we look at these six facts, the only reasonable and logical explanation is that truly Jesus did miraculously rise from the dead. The resurrection is the greatest proof that Jesus is who he claimed to be God. It proves that he has the power to forgive us of our sins. It proves that he has the power to enable us to be with him for all eternity. So believing that Jesus is God, believing that he died on the cross for our sins, believing that he rose from the dead, it's not some blind belief. It's not something that we as Christians just kind of hope in and we don't really have any evidence to back it up. We have plenty of evidence to back up why we believe what we believe. And I encourage you as you're going back to family and friends who don't believe these things, take this, share this with them, challenge them with it, show them that there is evidence for these things, and now they're in a place where they need to make a decision of what they're going to do with that evidence. Now, if you came here this morning skeptical of Christianity, you've never believed in the fact that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose from the dead, as we looked at this morning, to conquer sin and death, and you look at this evidence, and you're wondering, you know what, if this is true, then that says Jesus is God, that he can save me from my sins, that he can enable me to go and be in heaven with him. Jesus is God, then his claims are true, and one of his claims that he said was, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to forgiveness of sins, only one way to God, only one way to heaven. And Jesus said it's through him, a belief in him, an acceptance of who he is and what he's done for you. Believing that Jesus is God, believing that he died on the cross for your sin, believing that he rose from the dead to conquer sin and death, that is a belief that you have to have if you want your sins forgiven, if you want to have an eternity with God in heaven. The Bible says if we ask Jesus to forgive us our sins, if we ask him to come into our life, He will do that for us. Let's pray.